We turn in sacred scripture to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. In the first part of the chapter, we read of Jesus' healing of the Gadarene demoniac, that demon-possessed man living in the land of the Gadarenes, uh, living among the tombs uh, of the dead in great misery, and Jesus heals him. And then after that, we come to Jesus showing mercy and compassion again to the woman with an issue of blood. That's what we consider in the preaching tonight. We read Mark 5, verses 21 through 34, and the text is verses 25 through 34. Mark 5, beginning at verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. They crowded him around him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind, in the crowd behind, and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. The text is verses 25 through 34. I want to reread verse 34 especially at this time. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in our present series we are taking glimpses into the heart of our Savior. We're looking at the heart of Jesus Christ from different angles, and we are appreciating who Jesus is as we look at him from different points of view. 
As we go through this series, I suppose there could be multiple sermons that could simply have the theme, a heart of tender compassion. So that we have ten sermons with the exact same theme, a heart of tender compassion. Because over and over in the gospel accounts, that's what we see in Jesus. A heart of tender compassion. And that's true when it comes to the miracles of Jesus too. If if we just looked at the miracles, this is really what we have over and over again. Really, we could have ten sermons in our series just focused on the miracles of Jesus. And we could study how each miracle shows us the tenderness and compassion of the heart of Jesus. Now, that's not my intention in this series to, to break off into a series on the miracles. But this evening we do want to look at one miracle in particular. Maybe in the future we'll look at another miracle. But this evening we want to look at this miracle of Jesus healing the woman with the issue of blood. And I think this miracle is fitting to look at in our series, not just because of the great mercy Jesus shows this woman in healing her, but because of the great love that comes to expression when Jesus says to this woman, daughter, and he calls her daughter in verse 34. That's the only place in the gospel accounts where Jesus speaks in this fashion, where he calls a woman daughter. And this shows us from another point of view, the beautiful, tender, and compassionate heart of our Savior. So that's why we've taken as our theme this evening, a heart full of fatherly compassion. Jesus' heart is a heart of compassion. Jesus' heart is a heart that instead of moving away from the hurting, moves towards the hurting. And instead of being offended at his people's weak faith, he speaks words of encouragement. And instead of calling his people unclean, which he could very well do, he instead calls his people daughter. And he calls them son. When it comes to mercy, when it comes to having sympathy, when it comes to having bowels of mercy and showing tenderness and compassion, there is no one, there is no one like our Jesus. We take as our theme this evening, a heart full of fatherly compassion. We look at three things. First, we look at the woman's shameful condition. Second, the woman's bold faith. And third, Jesus' gracious dealings. Let's jump right into the passage and consider this woman's shameful condition. That this woman is in a shameful condition is clear from the fact that some of us might even be hesitant to look at this passage of Scripture or have these matters dealt with from across the pulpit. This woman has an issue of blood. And by the way, before we get to that, notice that this is all we know about this woman. We're not given her name We're not given her age. We're not even given her status, whether she was single or married. She is simply identified as a woman with an issue of blood. That's the only way we know her. That's her identity in Scripture. And that's significant for us this evening. Compare that for a moment with Jairus, about whom we know quite a bit from the passage. About Jairus, we, we know his name. We know what his calling was. He was a ruler in the synagogue. We know that he was a man of some status in the community. And we know that he was a father. He has a daughter. In contrast, about this woman, we know next to nothing. Practically, the only thing we know about her is that she has an issue of blood. 
Well, what was this issue of blood? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us in detail, but I think it is safe for us to connect the dots, and it's a rather sensitive matter. An issue of blood refers to an abnormal flow of blood in the body. An issue, that word issue, refers to something that comes forth, something that flows forth from something, like water issuing from a fountain or water flowing forth from a spring. In this context, is referring to a discharge of blood from the body. Blood flowing forth from the body. And most likely, this issue of blood was some kind of uterine hemorrhaging. It has to do with the uterus. Maybe it was a constant bleeding. Maybe it was bleeding that was a result of her monthly cycle. But what I mean is that this was bleeding that would show up in your undergarments. It was a very private matter known only to this woman and perhaps her family members. And no one would have been able to determine just by looking at this woman what her sickness was. And yet, I do think that people would have known that she was sick. After all, she was constantly bleeding. She was anemic. And as a a result of constantly bleeding, this woman would have been weak. She would have been without much energy, perhaps uh, There was pain involved. Perhaps this woman had a pale color to her skin. She looked like she was washed out or drained, like she was slowly withering away. She was a woman in a miserable condition. Mark refers to this sickness as a plague in verse 29. Matthew, in the parallel passage, refers to it as a disease. It was miserable. And this woman had been like this for 12 years. For 12 years. Years. Can you imagine? We sometimes go through unpleasant experiences that last a few days or perhaps a few months. And a few months can seem like forever. This woman had been dealing with this issue of blood for 12 long years. In addition, there's something more about this woman that we should know. Something that we might not think about right away in the 21st century or or even in the New Testament. What made this sickness all the more miserable was the fact that this kind of sickness would have made this woman ceremonially unclean, right? She has an issue of blood. And according to the Old Testament laws, any person with any bodily discharge, whether man or woman, any person with any bodily discharge discharge was considered ceremonially unclean. And a woman with an issue of blood was considered ceremonially unclean for seven days. In Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25, we read this. And if a woman have an issue of her blood many days out of the time of her separation, or if it run beyond the time of her separation, all the days of the issue of her uncleanness shall be as the days of her separation. She shall be Unclean, And the point of that verse is this. As long as she has an issue of blood, she shall be considered unclean. And now remember, here in Mark chapter 5, although we're in the New Testament as far as the division in the Bible is concerned, technically we're still in the Old Testament. Jesus hasn't yet suffered and died on the cross. He hasn't yet risen again and poured out His Holy Spirit upon the church. We're still in the Old Testament, under Old Testament law. And this woman then, by the very nature of her sickness, was in a perpetual state of uncleanness for 12 years. 
And what that means is that this woman couldn't touch another person. She couldn't worship in her local synagogue. She couldn't go to the temple in Jerusalem and bring her sacrifices. She was an outcast in her community. As Leviticus 15 goes on to explain, not only was she unclean, but everything she touched was unclean also. The bed she slept in, unclean. The chair that she sat on, unclean. The cup that she drank from, unclean. And anyone who touched any of these things that she had made unclean would also become unclean. The result was that this woman was a social and religious outcast. You can read about the Gadarene demoniac earlier in Mark chapter 5, and you can read of his sad and lonely and isolated state. But this woman in, in this passage in Mark 5, in a sense, is no different. She is in a miserable condition. For 12 years, beloved, because she was ceremonially unclean, we, we could presume that this woman hadn't felt a touch. She hadn't received a hug or a kiss for 12 years. And when she sinned, she couldn't go to the temple to make a sacrifice to the Lord. She was unclean. In many ways, she was like a leper. And yet, in a sense, perhaps it was worse because it was such a sensitive matter that this was a burden that she was carrying privately. What's even worse is this. Over the past 12 years, this woman had sought out every kind of medical treatment that was available to her. She had gone to doctor after doctor after doctor. And yet, what was the result? The result was that she ended up spending all her money on the doctor's And she wasn't any the better for it. In fact, we read she only got worse. Mark 5 verse 26 says that this woman had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. And you wonder what that might mean. This woman suffered many things of many physicians and she lost all her money. She was poor and she's even worse off than before. Congregation, do you appreciate the kind of suffering and sorrow that this woman was in? Maybe some of us here this evening have similar experiences or have had similar experiences. Experiences of silent suffering. Feeling so isolated and alone in our suffering. And it's hard. Well, what is this? We should ask ourselves, what what is this? What's it doing in the Scriptures? I teach my catechism students that every miracle that Jesus performs teaches us something about salvation. So that when Jesus performs miracles, He's not just showing kindness. He's not just showing His power to the masses, but He's teaching us about salvation. Jesus heals the blind, and He heals the deaf, and He frees the demon-possessed from their demon possession, and He raises people from the dead. And it's pointing us to spiritual realities, spiritual truths. We are the ones who are spiritually blind. We are the ones spiritually deaf. We are the ones under the rule and tyranny of Satan. We are the ones who are spiritually dead. And Jesus comes and He heals us of all our diseases. That's what he's doing in his miracles. And the question with this passage is, how does this miracle point to Jesus' work of salvation? 
Well, what we need to understand is that this woman is a picture of shame. And this woman is a picture of the shame that comes upon sinners because of their sin. You see, this woman isn't blind. She's not deaf. She's not demon-possessed. She's not dead. Those also are all pictures of sin and the effects of sin. But this woman is different. This woman is covered in shame. That's her sickness. She's a picture of the shame that our sins bring upon us. Do you know what shame is? Shame is that deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did or because of something done to you or or something associated with you. You are unacceptable and you feel exposed and you feel humiliated. And every Christian knows what shame is. And we know what shame is particularly because by God's grace we've been brought to see the shame of our sins. And we've been brought to see just how offensive and dirty and shameful our sins are. Not only have other people perhaps sinned against us, maybe sinned against us in very grievous ways that that has its own way of calling us, causing us to feel ashamed. But what I have in mind, especially with this miracle, is this. We have sinned against God. We've sinned against the Most High Majesty of God. The God who is the fountain from whom all blessings flow. We have rebelled against the goodness and the glory of God. And that is shameful, beloved. That is shameful. Maybe other people haven't seen our sins, but God has. God knows all our secret sins through and through. Even just to use one phrase. The sins of youth. And we're reminded of sin. And God knows our sins. And as God's children, we sin against God in shameful ways. In and of ourselves, we are unacceptable before God. In and of ourselves, we are unclean. In and of ourselves, we are like that woman with the issue of blood. Spiritually speaking, we are the ones ceremonially unclean. We are the ones who shouldn't have a place in the local uh, worship, in the local church. We, we are the ones who should be cast out of God's sight, not worthy to set foot in the temple. And sometimes we struggle with that because we see our sins and the shame of them. And sometimes other people try to heap shame upon us so that they throw our sins back in our face again and again. And they, maybe they say, you're not sorry enough. Or you're not as sorry as I would be if I did what you had done. You should be ashamed of yourself. That's how people talk. And that too is a a hardship on God's people. And perhaps it feels like we are so dirty that everything we touch also becomes unclean. You see, that's what this woman is a picture of. She's got a disease. She's washing her blood-stained undergarments every single day. And it's a constant reminder to her that she's unclean. Not welcome among God's people. She's ashamed. 
we've got a spiritual disease. It's called our sins. As the Psalter number puts it very vividly, a mighty stream of foul transgression prevails from day to day. And you can go to all the doctors in the world that you like, and you can spend as much money as you have on the appointments, but no doctor, no psychiatrist, no shrink is going to be able to take away that shame that you and I experience over our sins. In fact, you go to a psychologist to deal with the guilt of your sins, and you don't go to Christ, and your shame is only going to get worse. That, that was the woman's experience, wasn't it? She, she went to every doctor, she paid the money, but she found that her issue of blood, her shame, was only getting worse. What did this woman need to do? She needed to go to the great physician. She needed to go to the only place where healing can be found. She needed to go to Jesus. And that's where we come to this woman's bold faith. In verse 27, we read that this woman had heard of Jesus. You can imagine, by this point, there are reports of Jesus being spread throughout all the land, far and wide. Jesus is the one who heals unclean lepers. Jesus is the one who heals demon-possessed children. And this woman hears about Jesus, and she says to herself, Jesus can also heal me. There is one who can heal me. There is one who can take away this shame. There is one who can forgive sins. And there is one who brings healing. Jesus, who is one who doesn't keep his distance from unclean lepers. Jesus, who is merciful to the unclean. He's gracious to those who are outcasts, who's tender with needy sinners, and who is so compassionate. And now maybe this woman, I imagine her standing afar in the distance, she sees Jesus on the shores of the Sea of Galilee getting off the boat into the harbor. And maybe this woman even sees Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, falling down before Jesus. And maybe this woman is able to see the compassion in Jesus' eyes. And she sees the love that Jesus has for his people. And she sees Jesus' willingness to go with Jairus to his house to visit his daughter. And she says, he does respond to the cry of the needy. The things that I've heard about, I see now with my eyes, they're true. And the woman says, yes, Jesus can save. He can deliver me. I know he can. And so what does she do? She goes to Jesus. And notice what we read in verses 27 and 28. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Literally, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be saved. I shall be saved. Delivered from this shame. Delivered from this sin. Delivered from this uncleanness, from this death and hell and this misery. And I shall be brought into a state of health and joy and happiness. That's how this woman was thinking. If I may touch but his clothes. Forget the doctors. Forget the shrinks and the psychiatrists. I need to go to Jesus with my shame. And of course, when this woman approaches Jesus, she's clothed with humility and modesty. Because of the nature of her condition, 
She's not going to approach Jesus the same way that someone else might approach Jesus, the same way that Jairus could approach Jesus so publicly and so boldly. No, maybe she can't approach Jesus the same way, but she will approach Jesus. If she but touches the tassels that are hanging from the bottom of his garment, she knows she will be healed. What is this, beloved? This is faith. This is true faith. And we know it's faith from what Jesus himself says in verse 34. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Literally, thy faith hath saved thee. This woman has true faith. She looked to Jesus and she trusted in Jesus. She came to Jesus and she rested in Jesus. That's faith. That's the activity of true faith. True faith is a looking to Jesus and coming to Jesus and trusting in Jesus. And this woman believed that the slightest contact with Jesus would be enough for her healing. And she is determined not to miss her opportunity. Now, was this perfect faith? Maybe, John Calvin says that... uh, the Spirit gave her this, this sense that she needed to go to Jesus. But, but at the same time, was it perfect faith? Does it, in fact, appear as if there's a little bit of superstition mixed with the faith? As if she thinks that simply by her physical touch, she will be able to be healed? I think there is. Does this woman think, in a sense, that maybe she can steal a miracle from Jesus? It appears from the passage that way, doesn't it? And that's not right. But even though her understanding here isn't perfect, that itself demonstrates the compassion of our Savior. Because what we should realize is this, when this woman approaches Jesus and touches Jesus, Jesus himself knows exactly what's happening. Jesus knows what's going on. And Jesus himself willingly chooses to heal her. It wasn't as if this healing happened without Jesus' conscious decision to heal this woman. That might be how you read it, but that's not how this happened. And that's also why Jesus is going to interact with this woman the way that he does. We'll get to that in a moment. But the point right now is this. This woman has faith. Not perfect faith, but she has faith. First of all, of course, she has that uh, true saving faith that unites her to Christ. She has that bond of faith. We understand that's first, that, that connection to Christ. And then out of that bond of faith, she becomes active. She's looking to Jesus. She touches Jesus. She reaches out and embraces Jesus and takes Jesus to herself. That's what true faith does. We heard that recently in in the Lord's Supper, preaching on the catechism. Faith is the hand and mouth of the soul by which we take Christ to ourselves. True faith reaches out to Jesus and looks alone to Jesus for salvation. True faith is bold. So that this woman even forgets what others might be thinking of her. She is pursuing Jesus. And her faith will be rewarded. She is given what her heart is desiring, salvation. This woman touched Jesus and immediately she was healed. She felt it right away in her body. She knew she was healed. What encouragement for you and me, beloved. Do you not? Sometimes feel that your faith is not perfect. Maybe many times feel your faith. Do we ever have perfect faith? Do you sometimes feel your faith is not perfect? And yet you know you still need to go to Jesus for healing. 
Do you sometimes feel as if your shame prevents you from coming to Jesus like perhaps another child of God might come to Jesus like Jairus? Jesus doesn't upbraid you. Jesus doesn't mock you or or heap more shame upon you. Jesus doesn't criticize your weak faith. Jesus commends this woman and encourages her. He's tender and he's compassionate. He already knows all that she is. He already knows all that we are. He's not surprised by our shame. He's not surprised by anything. He knows everything about us and still he loves us passionately because he loves us unconditionally. He loves us because he loves us. You see, congregation, God gives us this passage to comfort us and to encourage us to go to Jesus. And that's also why Jesus deals with this woman the way that he does in his gracious dealings with her. He wants this woman to know how much he loves her. She can't just steal a miracle from him without knowing Jesus' love for her. She can't be under the delusion that it was her touch of his garment that healed her. No, it wasn't her hand that saved her. And it wasn't Jesus' garment that saved her either. It was her faith that made her whole. Because by faith, she looked to Jesus as her Savior, and Jesus is the one who healed her. And true faith clings to Jesus. Jesus is the one who freely chose to heal her, and he healed her deliberately and consciously. And now Jesus wants to purify and strengthen her faith. So what does he do? Well, there they are walking in the crowd of people, and Jesus stops walking right in the midst of them. And he says, who touched me? And the crowd is so big that Jesus' disciples almost rebuke him. Jesus, you see how big the crowd is. You see how squeezed in we all are together. And you're asking, who touched me? But you see, Jesus has a purpose here. He wants to encourage this woman. And so he turns around and he sees her. And whether she is on her knees or or whatever, but he's looking right at her. And she knows that he knows that she touched him. She's the one who touched him. And what does she do? She openly and publicly confesses everything. With fear and trembling, she acknowledges her sin freely. She makes confession and she confesses her faith and her trust in Jesus Christ alone. And what does Jesus say in response? Is he going to reprove her? Is he going to mock her for her small faith? Is he going to say, Why did you touch me, you unclean woman? No, what did he do? He calls her daughter. Daughter. She who was covered in shame. She who has been a picture for 12 years of the sinner who has committed grievous sins. She who was unclean. She who had such imperfect faith. And Jesus calls her daughter. A term overflowing with affection and compassion. This is how someone would speak if they wanted to show or express soft and gentle love and affection. But not only is this a term overflowing with tenderness and compassion, it's a term that signifies who this woman is in relation to God. Jesus says, I know you. You can imagine he's looking straight in her eyes. I know you. I know who you are. I know all about you. 
You are my daughter. And that might sound a little strange to us because maybe we tend to think of Jesus as our elder brother. Maybe we tend to think of Jesus as our king or as our friend. But there's also a sense in which Jesus, which we are the children of Jesus. We are the seed of Jesus. We looked at that a few weeks ago when we looked at baptism. Certainly when this woman calls, hears Jesus calling her daughter, she's hearing the voice of her Savior, the voice of her God. This is what God says to her. Jesus is her Lord and her God. And I think it's certainly permissible when we look at these words in their context to draw out a parallel here between the daughter of Jairus and Jairus' love for his daughter and this woman in the passage and Jesus' love for her. Hearing Jesus call this woman daughter in this particular setting is powerful. Here you are in the crowd of people and you see a man in the crowd crying over his precious daughter. You see the ruler of the synagogue whose heart is consumed with thoughts for his daughter. And now here you have Jesus in the very same passage calling this woman his daughter. Everybody can see Jairus' love for his daughter Everyone can see Jairus' heart going out in deep concern for his 12-year-old daughter who's, who's on the point of dying and who will die. And Jesus says to this woman with the issue of blood, You, you are my daughter. The love of that man for his daughter who's on the verge of dying and his heart is consumed with love for her, that's a good picture. It's only a picture, but it's a good picture of my love for you. That's the heart of Jesus, beloved. That's the heart of Jesus for his people. He has a heart filled with fatherly compassion for you and for me. You have shame that brings you down. You have feelings of insecurity. You know your sins for what they are and how wretched they are. Jesus doesn't call you unclean. Jesus calls you daughter. And in the text to this woman, Jesus says, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Meaning this, You can be assured the plague has been completely removed from you. It's gone. Go in peace. It will never return to you again. And what's the result? The result is this. She's free. She's free of her shame. She's free of her uncleanness. It's gone. She's no longer an outcast. She's healed. She's saved. Her sins are forgiven. Her guilt is taken away. She's delivered from that death and that hell. She's free of her shame. Jesus Christ doesn't see her in her shame. He sees her as one who is clean, one who is beautiful, one who is washed in his blood. And Jesus calls her daughter. She's a member of the family of Jesus Christ. 
Beloved children of God here this evening, that's how the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to you as his people gathered in his house tonight. Believer who know your sins, who are sorry for your sins, know this. All your shame, all your sin, all your guilt, all your uncleanness, it's gone. Jesus has healed you, beloved. He's your Savior. That's what He does. He makes you whole. How does He do it? Well, what did the Scriptures tell us? The Scriptures tell us that Jesus is the one who took all our shame, all our guilt, all our sin upon Himself. He took our spot. He became the one who was unclean. He became the outcast. And that's even pictured in how he was treated, even when he was led to the cross outside of Jerusalem, led outside, outside the camp, in order that he might even be nailed on a tree. The city of Jerusalem, with all her leaders, put Jesus outside the city and made him an outcast, and then hung him on a tree, so that he was the one bearing our reproach. Not only that, but he bore the shame of all our sins. He bore our shame, not only before men, even as he was mistreated horribly by men and stripped naked for all to see, but he bore that shame especially before your God. That shame, that shame of being judged before God as a lawbreaker, as one who has rebelliously sinned against God's perfect law. And he felt that shame. Why? Exactly so that you and me, his children, his people, might be forgiven. Exactly so that with his blood we might be cleansed from all our sins, all our debts paid, and we might be received back into the favor and fellowship of God Almighty. Exactly so that we might be delivered from our death and our hell and our misery and woe appalling. See, your sins are not your own, beloved. You are not your own. And your sins are not your own. Because your sins were imputed to Christ, reckoned to His account, made His responsibility, and He bore the punishment, and He made the full payment. Jesus delivers us from the guilt of sin. He delivers us from the power of sin. He delivers us from the shame of sin. So that instead of being children of shame, we're made children of glory. Shining brightly. As the great verse from 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 puts it. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Shining glorious with those white robes of righteousness. Our sins imputed to him. His righteousness imputed to us. So that we are reckoned before God as righteous in Christ. And in Christ we're made the children of God. So that there is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. God Almighty does not call you unclean. Although you of yourself, you know you deserve to be called unclean. You who hide yourself in Jesus Christ, God does not call you unclean. God calls you daughter. And God calls you 
Son. And this is God's great love for you. This is the heart of God for you, reflected in the heart of His Son, Jesus Christ. He loves you as His daughter, and He loves you as His Son. So that we are the liberated sons and daughters of God, free from the guilt of our sin. Your sins are covered in the blood of Christ. Go in peace. Be whole of your plague. Your sins won't come back to you again. You've been made part of the family of Christ. And Christ loves you with a perfect heart. Beloved, that's the salvation that God has given us. This is the heart of our Savior. This is the heart of our God. It's glorious. It's glorious who our Savior is. Well, how shall we end this sermon tonight? Let's end it by receiving this instruction. Receive it, beloved. Receive this word of the gospel. And receive it with a true and living faith. And look to your Jesus as your great physician. Like this woman, you have a need. And you have a desperate need for what only Jesus can give. And Jesus requires no money. Jesus doesn't demand that you first pay him or that maybe after you recompense him after the fact. No, come to Jesus empty-handed. Come to Jesus trusting in him alone. In this week, in the face of your sins, flee to Jesus. Rest in his atoning work. And hear his loving word of affection calling out to you. Daughter, son, my precious one whom I love. He loves you, beloved. He will bless you. He will give you what you are longing for in true faith. This is the heart of Jesus. All who come to Jesus, he will in no wise cast out. This is the heart of Jesus. He is merciful. He is compassionate and faithful. This is why he came to the earth. Because he was moved to save you. To save helpless sinners. And Jesus is just the Savior you need. And He's the Savior whom God in His abounding grace has given you. Take the glimpse and see the heart of your Savior. And rest in the awesome wonder of His love. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, to Thee be the glory Thy gospel is indeed a glorious gospel. Write it on our hearts. Cause us to see the heart of our Savior. And strengthen us in the faith that Thou hast given us. That we might rest in Him and know the healing, the health, the joy, the salvation we have in Him. Bless this preaching to our hearts. And may our lives be shaped by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.